I miss you, man. I haven't seen you in ages. It's so nice to pick on you again. Um, in Jesus' love. Um, so uh, we're going to be uh, talking about Second Peter. Uh, before I dive into this, um, I'm going to... Uh, we're going to pray uh, for the message and give the kids a second to kind of run. Um, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you be with me this morning and help me to uh, be faithful uh, to your text. Help me to, to preach the word. Help me to be um, just, just focused on what, uh, what your will is in this, Lord. I pray that um, you would help folks to hear from you and to know you better uh, by hearing the word this morning. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. So uh, there was this piñata. Um, I I was invited to a, uh, or actually my children were invited to a party. Nobody invites me to parties. They invite the cool people, and then I just tag along. Um, but but we went to this uh, birthday party for uh, one of the Jansons' kids over at uh, Fireman Park. Y'all are you know it's right there by the newspaper building. And um, as a part of the entertainment, they had a piñata. But it wasn't a normal piñata. Like, I've never seen one like this. It, it was a piñata with a, with a large collection of ribbons hanging out of the bottom end. Have you all ever seen one of these? I, I guess you pull the ribbons because that way you don't have to swing a bat. I, I don't know. And it's not fun anymore, but nobody asked me. And so you pull, each kid pulls a ribbon, and by the time you know, one of them, in theory, pulls the bottom of the piñata out, and it spills its guts. Um, and so... Uh, we, they're, they're doing this ribbon thing and the kids are lining up and they're pulling the ribbons and there was a mechanism failure and, and a moment of panic within the pinata did not dump out its contents and it was hanging there on the edge of the park from a tree just hanging there and, and they began discussing what, what to do and my car was nearby so I went to check to see what I had and as it turns out I had a breaker bar which if you're going to break something, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's ever broken things with my breaker bar. And actually, this is Richard's breaker bar, but I bought it from him, so it's mine now. Um, and so I brought it out, and I give it to, to Vanessa. It was, you know, her kid's party. So she's, she's looking at this thing, and she's like, I don't think I'm going to give this to little kids to swing around. And so she got a stick, and it was kind of a, like, it was something I might spank my kids with. I wouldn't spank my kids with a breaker bar. Um, but it was, it was a, you know, and so they lined up, and the little kids went up, and they're like, hitting this thing and and it's not doing anything right like the pinata is is weathering the storm of the children's assault and the younger kids all went and then some of the older kids went and and many of the older kids did not want my breaker bar the first kid who was willing to swing it was my beautiful little girl (laughs) and she went and she hit that pinata and a couple of pieces of candy came out and then henry came up and Henry, being awesome, hit that pinata about 12 times, and several pieces of more candy fell out. But the pinata was still there and still mostly intact. And I try to stay out of things. <laughs> Actually, I did get, I was helping. I, I suggested that one of the other fathers do it, and he said no. And they said, Eric, why don't you do it? So I... I, I took the breaker bar, and I, I went up, and the kids backed way up, and, and the, the piñata's head came off, and the piñata flew high in the air and into the road, spraying candy all over the street. 
And then Brianna, some of y'all know her. I don't know her last name. Brianna Goodman, her van was parked there. And the pinata <laughs> fell onto the van, dumping candy into the open sunroof. <laughs> I, there may have been one or two children that actually peed their pants laughing. I, I did not see what happened after that because I was doubled over laughing myself. First off, I couldn't not tell this story, <laughs> but, but there is a point. All right, we're going to be looking at, at this section in Second Peter, and this short little collection of verses is almost a sermon in itself. But what Peter is going to show us, and, and it's what I'm using my illustration for, now follow me, um, growth and effectiveness as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is a product of two things. You have to have the right tools, and you've got to be mature. <laughs> we had I picked up the, the, the spanking stick that they were using to hit the pinata, I wouldn't have broken it either. With the right tool in my hands, right? Henry had the right tool and the right idea, but I, I outweigh Henry by probably about two hundred pounds. And I don't weigh two hundred pounds. I mean like <laughs> they, but but that maturity, that growth, that size adds to the ump. And we're gonna come back to this. Um and it, and it, what we're going to be talking about is this idea that as believers, God equips us, and we need to take on that equipping, and it needs to be a part of who we are, and we need to mature in our faith and in our like walk with Christ. And as we mature and as we use the tools God has put in our hands, we become increasingly effective as his people. Is everybody with me? So I've already told you the entire message. <laughs> now let's see if I can fit it into the text. That was not said right. Let me explain to you how the text talks about this. Uh, a little background. Peter is writing this. Peter is the Peter, like, like the Apostle Peter. Um, he was, uh, I'm going to put this somewhere where I'm not going to play with it anymore. I'm sorry. Because uh, I keep wanting to pick it up and swing it. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to hit big D if I do. <laughs> um, Peter is is the fisherman Peter. He is in his advanced years at this point. He is writing to a primary, primarily Gentile audience. And this is a Gentile audience that would have been steeped in what's called Hellenism. Hellenism is Greek culture. Um, now, a few hundred years before, uh, before Christ showed up, there was a guy named Alexander the Great, who was a Greek king, and he conquered everything in the entire world. And as he conquered the whole world... He spread out Greek culture because he said, everybody wants to read our books. Everybody wants to think like us. Everybody wants to speak our language. Everybody wants to be Greek. Um, and so Hellenism was the result of that. It was Greek culture spread everywhere. When the Romans finally took everything over, they said, hey, this Greek culture thing works well. And everybody in the whole stinking world speaks Greek, which, by the way, is why most of the New Testament is written in Greek. Yes. Um, so Hellenism is this way of thinking and this way of looking at the world that, that was common. Everybody had it. And as Peter writes, Peter draws a whole bunch of ideas out of Hellenism. And so we're going to touch on that because his audience is Hellenistic, right? It'd be like me standing up here. I, I sometimes use farm analogies very badly, right? And the reason I do that is because... Pretty much almost everyone here is a farmer or has a connection to a farmer or has grown up around farms, right? 
And so I try to put it in your language or your, I mean, I do it badly, but I do my best. Um, one last thing. There's a literary genre we're going to discuss today. And, and it's important to understand, like, you can read something, and if you read it without understanding the literary genre, you can get lost. And there's an example of that in this where it's been preached wrong a bunch of times. It's been preached wrong because um, the, the preachers at the time would maybe ignore the genre. It'd be like if I were to pick up a, a rap album and read the lyrics and say, oh, well, this is all completely true. And, well, no, the guy's probably exaggerating in some places, right? Or this may be hyperbole. Or this may be a phrase that he uses that's colloquial. And so we're going to look at it from this perspective, not of a rap album, but of a like the culture and the genre of literature. So, um, for some reason, I have an extra slide in there. We're going to jump right over it. First uh, Peter 1, 3 to 4. Um, Peter writes, having just done his introduction, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Um, we're going to pause there. There's a word in there that's important, knowledge, Right? Those of y'all who managed to stay awake through all of last week's sermon, uh, we talked about knowledge being an important component of what Peter was talking about. Knowing God and having a knowledge of God is a reference not to intellectual knowledge, but relationship, right? It's this intimate connection that plays out in what you know, how you act. And, and so in everything, this knowledge, this connection that we have with God, um, He's given us, or his divine power has given us everything we need for this godly life, for this way of living God has designed us to have through our relationship, through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. His own glory and goodness, this is a very cool thing about our God. Our God is glorified by the creation. He is glorified by everything he says and does. But one of the ways God chooses to glorify himself is by showing us mercy, right? Like, we, we love, man, I love action movies, right? Um, many of y'all have seen the movie Die Hard. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the, the, you know, we, many of us have seen this. John McClane in this film is glorified by his defeating of the bad guys, right? He's glorified by dispensing justice with a gun and all this other stuff. And Arnold Schwarzenegger does that in about 80% of his movies, right? Like, glorified by... By, you know, by defeating the enemy and being violent. Um, God, through Christ, chooses to be glorified in the opposite way. Where we are all creatures of wrath, where we are all deserving God's judgment, he chooses to be merciful on us and forgive us through his grace. And he is glorified by that choice to be graceful, to forgive. Um, to give us a gift we don't deserve, can't possibly earn, um, to have our sins wiped away and like, like our, our ledger made clean so we don't owe anything, so we have no, no indebtedness to God. Like, this is an amazing thing. So God has given us everything um, to live the way he made us to live because we have this relationship with him because he's glorified by it. He chooses to be glorified by it. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Um, God promises a number of things to us. He promises us that we are forgiven, right? He promises us that we are a new creation. He promises us eternity, 
right? Like heaven, you start really looking at what heaven is. Heaven is no small promise. I mean, heaven is eternity in God's presence. Heaven is healing and being made whole. Heaven is justice raining down like like rain from the sky the last few weeks. Um, like, like his promises are enormous and they are powerful so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. This is a sticky phrase here. We're going to come back to it in just a second. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That word divine nature, sharing in the divine nature, this is a thing. This phrase appears like one time in the Bible, right? Right here. And so Peter gives us a word or a phrase we can't like say, well, what does that even mean? And so we can go somewhere else and look for it. And Nope, none of that. Um, but like we do know that he's taking it from Hellenistic culture. This is a Greek philosophy phrase. And it carries the connotation that we are sharing in or playing a part in like the deity. I'm going to jump back to Genesis 1. Some of y'all have read this book, right? Genesis. Um, in the very beginning, God has created the world. He's created. He's gone through six or five days of creation. And then finally, God says, then God said, well, God didn't say that. Actually, Moses probably wrote it. But then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Um, so God creates man in his image to live forever, to create, to have dominion, to, to glorify God. Like, like we are, we're like God in the beginning until, right, until um, Adam and Eve choose to kind of do their own thing. And then while we're still in God's, like, image, there's a brokenness to it. And we, we end up in this sort of corrupt version of humanity. Um, in, in our original design, we wouldn't abuse each other. We wouldn't steal from each other. We wouldn't, you know, destroy the creation. We wouldn't um, have lustful thoughts after our neighbor's wives. We wouldn't, like, all of this stuff that's there, like, we're corrupted. And, and God glorifies himself by showing us mercy and allowing us to be like him. That divine nature that we're allowed to participate in is, is like the ability to overcome wickedness. It's the ability to show mercy. Um, I, I've talked about um, Corrie Ten Boom several times here in the last few months. Uh, Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch woman uh, who was arrested during World War II uh, by the uh, Gestapo. And she was put in a concentration camp because her family was housing Jewish people. And she was, a, she was a believer, and she went through this concentration camp with her sister. Her entire family was murdered in the first few days, and her and her sister lived together in this concentration camp. And they, you know, they, they, the sister almost survived, and, but she died just a few weeks before the camp was liberated. And then Ten Boom, like, came out of this, and she wrote books, and she toured Europe preaching about grace and about forgiveness and about like God's mercy for people who have done wicked things. And, and there's this instance where she's preaching a sermon in Germany. 
like in Germany. And, and she's preaching this sermon about God's grace on people and how we're called to forgive each other and show each other mercy. And she gets done and she walks from the platform. And the first man who walks up to her shakes her hand and says, I was a guard in your camp. I'm so pleased to hear that you'll forgive me. And she said her stomach knotted up. And she looked at the man and recognized him and hated him. And stood there for a moment and then realized that she just stood up and said that Christ calls us to forgive our enemies and love and to show mercy. And she talks about letting it go and feeling this freedom in herself and this brand new life and experiencing God in this amazing way. And I don't care what anybody says. That's divine, right? Like that's not of our nature. That isn't something you just do. Like we forgive because God's grace is on us. We show mercy because God's grace is on us. We are better than we would be because God's grace is on us. And it's this knowledge and this relationship we have with God that gives us the ability to do so. If you do it of your own effort, you might manage it in little bits, right? You might. Um, but if you, oh man, I got to come over here and get it again. Look out, Big D. But if you do it of your own effort, there's a good chance you're bringing the wrong tool to the table. And you're going to try accomplishing the work that you've got to accomplish with a tiny little lightweight branch when what you really need is a big piece of steel. Right? Because we all like retain a degree of God's nature. We all retain like remnants of God's created order. It's just tainted by sin, horribly corrupted. Um, but God gives us the ability to escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desire because he gives us the right tools to the job to break the power of sin in our lives. That was funny. Uh, <laughs> no? All right. Um, and so first point Peter's making in his little sermon is God has given believers what they need to accomplish what he calls us to accomplish. What does he call us to accomplish? Well, he calls us to glorify him. He calls us to preach the word. He calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? He calls us to bring justice to people. He calls us to, to um, bring new life and to bring peace into the world around us. He calls us to be like Christ. Um, and we will be ineffective if we're just trying really hard. We have to learn to operate according to the gifts God has given us. The Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, is what makes it possible. So Peter goes on. For this reason... For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, which um, a lot of translations uh, render brotherly love, which we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, and to mutual affection, love, or agapos, agapeo, I think is actually the right word. But um, So now Peter says, listen, you've been given the equipment, and you have this faith. Faith is where we start. Faith is, I trust God enough that I will follow him and live my entire life following him. I am his man. I belong to him. I have been adopted. I have this new way of life. I am, I am now a part of God's, God's plan. I am following him. I am his, his bondservant, uh, as we talked about last week. 
Um, and so I have this faith. Faith is the beginning. But in addition to that, I need goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance. There's a lot of preachers, and I said that I would talk about this. There are a lot of preachers who preach this wrong, as though one leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. And that's not what's going on here. Uh, This is actually a particular literary type, and I have to look it up because I don't remember it. Um, If I was a little smarter, I probably would. Uh, Sorites. Sorites. Sorites? I'm going to mispronounce it. But that's okay. Um, And that is where one syllogism or one statement attaches to the next, attaches to the next. And it's sort of this poetic form that draws a bigger picture. And the bigger picture is become this guy, right? Like don't stop with just your faith. You need to have goodness. Um, Don't stop with goodness. You need to have knowledge. You need to know the stuff you need to know in order to do this. Um, Don't stop at knowledge. You need to have self-control. Don't stop at self-control. You've got to keep persevering and drive onward. And you've got to be godly. And you've got to love your brothers. And you've got to love God like selflessly. I mean, this is this thing, this build-up. But these are things that are a byproduct of um, maturity. Right? So we have this tool in our hands. And after we have the tool in our hands, we grow into it. And we learn to use it better. I, it always blows my mind. Larry's not sitting in here, so I'll pick on him. Um, it always blows my mind when I ride with Larry in a tractor or a combine because the guy can pick out a rock in the dark without headlights from two and a half miles away. Um, and he'll just nudge the little the header up and down. like an, <laughs> It seems that way to me. I don't know. You could hit me with a rock, and I wouldn't know it's there. Um, I'm like the pinata. Anyway. Um, <laughs> you, you watch people who know how to use a tool or know how to use it well, and and they just become experts at using it, and they mature into its use. They mature into its operation, and this is what this is. Maturing into its operation is um, is growing in these qualities, is becoming stronger in these qualities or more pronounced in these qualities. Um, there are a couple that are really worth pointing out, um, and I really want to touch on. Most of all, I want to touch on self-control. How many of y'all love self-control? <laughs> I, I have discovered the single best thing in the entire world, and it is um, post-brand ginger snap cookies and milk. I, I discovered them accidentally, but I've eaten about four boxes in the last month myself. I tried buying different ginger snaps, and they're not the same. And so I would say, all right, I'm going to eat healthy today. I'm not going to eat any of these cookies. And you know what would happen? I would eat them. And I would say, I'm just going to eat four because it's, only, you know, like four is the serving size. And then after my 16th cookie, which is four cubed or squared, four squared <laughs> I would say, you know, maybe I should brush my teeth now. So I don't eat any more because ginger snaps don't taste good with toothbrush. Um, self-control is the ability to say no. You know, eventually I solved that problem by um, not buying them. Because my wife was with me and she said, Eric, don't buy those cookies. You know you're going to eat them all. <laughs> I went down the aisle and she said, no, drag me out. Um, because I don't do self-control well. Um, self-control, we look at it and we think, if only 
I could get away from these rules. If only I didn't have to worry about my cholesterol, I could eat ginger snap cookies until I can't stand up. I would eat them until I was sick of them, and then I would never eat them again. Um, or we think about, like, if only I didn't have to be pure in my thoughts. If only I could think about whatever I want. If only I didn't have to forgive people. I could be angry all the time. If only I didn't have to care for my kids all the time. And I love you, Abby. I'm not saying that about me. It's hypothetical. Um, if only I didn't have to care for this. If only I have to do this. If only I have to do that. And in reality, the responsibilities that we have and the way that we operate in relation to them, it's like, like a bird. I, I read this analogy, and, and it kept bouncing around in my head, and I had to come back and talk about it. Um, it was written by a fellow named Albert Camus, and he talks about a bird flying in the air and the wind. And it gets windy in Montana. Have you ever seen a bird fight in the wind, like really fight in the wind? And he tells the story of this bird, and the bird is there, and the wind is blowing against him, and he could barely make any progress, and he thinks, if only there was no wind and no air, if only I was just in a vacuum, then I would be able to fly really easy. And he wouldn't. And you know why? First off, he'd suffocate. But secondly, without the wind, the bird can't fly because the wind is what picks him up. Um, Self-control, operating in harmony with God's law and God's will for us, not because it's going to earn us salvation, but because it glorifies God. Um, It lifts us to heights of maturity, right? It lifts us to new levels according to what God has called us to be. And so when I face temptation and I walk away from it, it puts me in this spot where I'm leaning on God and knowing him in a different way. It creates in me a strength. And I think perseverance come, like, actually is integrally connected to that. Like this idea that I've done it once, I can do it again. I, I've discovered getting up early. I hate getting up early. But if I get up early once, I get up early twice a lot easier. If I sleep late five days in a row, you know how easy it is to get up early? Not. Um, But in reality, all of these things are interconnected. I develop self-control. It makes me persevere better. Um, I do these things well, and I become more godly. Can I become more godly without becoming more self-controlled? Yeah. But eventually, it's going to pull the other one up. They're all tied together, and they all grow us. And eventually, when we reach the end of this, we become something better. We go from Henry hitting the pinata with the breaker bar to Eric hitting the pinata with the breaker bar. And then somebody, like, really strong probably after that. I don't know, Callan or someone. Um, Because we mature, we grow, we become stronger, we become better, we become what we are meant to be. Eight to nine. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting what they have been cleansed of their past sins. Um, I was, uh, I have a lot of friends who are, uh, from, uh, uh, fundamentalist church background. And you watch these guys who, there's actually one in Indiana, a pastor that I, I was reading about here a few months ago who had this huge mega church and he talked about everybody else's sin and he was a fire and brimstone kind of guy. And then it came out that he was doing a lot of really immoral things and he was kind of all talk, Right. And in reality, his faith didn't match his walk. Like his lifestyle didn't match what he believed. And possessing these qualities is hard. It's easier to look big and strong than it is to be big and strong. Um, And so we're called to grow in goodness, to grow in knowledge, to grow in self-control, to grow in perseverance. Because in growing in these things, it makes us into something real, not into a paper tiger, an image of something better. Um, 
we become effective and productive um, in our relationship with Christ. Um, we become something better, not just somebody that looks great, but has forgotten how wicked they are themselves, how much they've been forgiven, or they become puffed up and arrogant in their faith. Um, I, I heard a sermon this week that talked about this passage in relation to uh, the parable of the talents. The master goes away and gives each of his servants money. And the guy who got like one talent buries it in the yard. And when the guy comes back, he says, hey, I brought you your talent. And he's like, you could have put it in a bank. You are, I would have gotten interest. Like you really just buried it in the yard um, because he didn't do anything with what he was given. We've all been given the tool, right? If you have faith in Christ, you have the tool in hand. You either use it and grow in it, or you're burying the good things in the backyard, right? You're forgetting they're there until you need them. Um, or you're pretending to be something better and never actually using the tool or whatever. Um, so, like, Peter's second point here is we must actively pursue spiritual maturity. This is something that we have to put effort into. We have to work toward. Um, and our last couple verses, and we're almost done. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Peter closes out. He says, listen, have your faith, use the tools, grow. Become strong and equipped and mature. And if you do this, you confirm what you are. Um, there's a saying, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck or a cat, right? You know, No, it's a duck. If it quacks, it's a duck, you know? And um, <laughs> Wow, y'all are sarcastic. You know where you get that from. Um, so if you are a follower of Christ, like confirm it in the way that you live and the way you talk and the way you do things. Be what you are. If you... you know, like, know the teachings of Christ and apply them. Encounter brothers and sisters in Christ and live the way we're supposed to. Love the people around you who are also adopted into the faith. Love the people around you who are lost. Um, love Christ and pour your life out for him. And if you do so, you'll be welcomed richly into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think this is a promise of heaven. But it is also a promise that there's reward with, like, like obedience. You know, I think the phrase is, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant. Um, we grow and we mature, not so we can be awesome, but so that we can glorify God. And so we can stand before him as, as a faithful servant, not as a guy who buried his talents in the yard. Um, so Christians must pursue spiritual maturity if they expect to be welcomed into heaven. Like, this is it. Like, we're called to be mature we are called to grow so we're going to close in prayer and my challenge to you this week is like first off are you even carrying a toolbox right when it comes time to hit the pinata do you have anything in the trunk of your car to do it with you know and and are you going to be able to hit it and make any difference or are you going to launch it into a minivan sunroof um <laughs> like like have you matured enough to face the challenges in front of you and knock them out of the park or are you still young and ineffective? Like, have you grown and grown to be effective with the tools God has given you? Um, and if you haven't, if this sermon is pricking your conscience, you're thinking, man, I should be doing better, come talk to me. Come talk to John. Come talk to, I mean, there's guys all over this place um, that can help you mature and grow in your faith. Um, 
Jeremy back there. Um, you know, we're, we're blessed to have trainers everywhere. Um, my challenge to you is to look at your life and ask, do I have the tools and am I growing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us uh, today. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to walk uh, in harmony with, with your calling on our lives. Help us to be your children. I pray, Lord, that, um, that we would be people of faith, Lord, that we would be people who, who use the Holy Spirit in our lives um, to achieve more, to, to serve you more effectively, to, to feed the poor, to touch the lives of the broken, to, to spread the gospel. In Christ's name. Have a good day, guys.